0: Shall we stand? Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, So that in the ages to come, he might show his surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them.
1: Passage is all about is about you know what, what God did in Christ when we were in such bad shape. And so to you be the glory forever and always. May we never forget that. So just help us truly uh, focus on that in worship this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before you're seated, say hello. Hello, hello. Happy birthday.
2: Thank you. Thank
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> truly the Lord of living water, and you are. We think back to John chapter 4 and your meeting with the woman at the well. Mm-hmm. and, and uh, She came to draw water, which is what you do. And she said, uh, you know, if you know who I am, you'd have asked me and I'd give you living water. I'd, I'd, and the discussion goes on from there, and of course we know that what Jesus was ma- meaning is I am God in flesh. I am the Messiah. In fact, she was the first one he revealed his Messiahship to. And I have come to give you life. I've come to give you living water. And the fact is, as we'll see today, I, th- I think in a very real way, is we're all thirsty. To one degree or another, we, we all are in desperate need of Jesus. And Father, as, as we gather from week to week and, and here we are again, uh, you know, a week goes by and, and I know that some, some people had, had some mechanical disasters this week. Uh, some had some physical disasters this week. Some may have had some spiritual disasters this week, relational disasters this week. Whatever kind of disaster we may have had, we know, man, we are thirsty. Help, Lord, help, help, help. And he's there, and he does. So, Father, we are so thankful for that. You know, and as we sit here this morning, uh, may our hearts truly worship. Worship happens when we respond to truth. The truth was what Cliff read at the beginning. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, in his rich mercy, sent Jesus die on a cross for us, be buried and rise again to 30. And if we place our faith in him, he saves us by grace. That grace comes and lifts us up. And that's what we need. So Father, for those that are really struggling today in however they are struggling, whether they're here or they've come to our mind, we pray for them. We pray that they would know the touch of God. We pray that they would know you know your spirit. We pray that they would know your help. We pray that they would know your refreshment, as you are the living water. And of course, uh, you know, as we think about that, I know that people have come to mind. So why don't you spend just a few quiet moments and lift them up to the Lord and ask, the, ask the Lord that as the living water, He would minister to their spirit. we think of them we, we pray that you would touch them we pray for our country well let's start with our city our cities, many are represented here as our county our state, our country our world, I mean it's fallen apart and uh, we know that you are the answer and we pray that somehow you as the answer would be known and people would surrender to you and that's our theme this morning, Lord. We just pray that uh, that would happen. We thank you for the words of Jesus when he said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am hum- gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a quote from Jeremiah where it basically says, do what God says. Follow the word, and uh, we will find rest for ourselves. So Jesus is the only answer. So, Lord, that's going to lead us right into where we're going this morning. So we pray that uh, that truth would ring in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing this, why don't we stand? My mom, my mom used to always get mad at me. She says, don't tell them, why don't you stand? Would you please stand? Why okay. stand? Well, Thank you. the answer. I mean, there it is. Jesus said it. Jesus means it. Jesus has done it. Jesus is doing it. And Jesus will do it. This is what we have, Lord. And so uh, we look forward to learning more about that from your word. So now as we come to your word, truly teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles. Go to Hebrews chapter 3. (laughs) Look at that. I got it on the first try. Amazing. Hebrews chapter 3. Just stay there. That'll be the first passage you're looking at. I'm going to begin at the beginning, and then I'll explain a little bit more about what we're doing this morning. Actually, we do it every Sunday morning, but today is a little different. Remember that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? He created the heavens and the earth. In the, in the beginning, he, uh, God in Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, and according to our likeness, and let them rule over the cattle and over the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And at the end of chapter 1 of Genesis, it says, God saw that he had made what he had made. God saw all that he had made. And behold, it was very good. Very good. Chapter 2 fills in more details about Adam and Eve and about how God put Adam in the garden verses 15 through 17 says you got all of this you can have it all except for the knowledge of the tree in the middle that said the knowledge of the fruit that has the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil you eat of that tree you're going to die so God was saying do you trust me Adam and then at the end and so and then he, man saw that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone and remember he put Adam to sleep and took a rib out of his side and created a woman and I <laughs> this is a man thing so I always wonder what Adam thought when he woke up and saw the woman that God gave him can you imagine what he thought because remember he had been naming the animals and there wasn't found a helper suitable for him and so God puts him to sleep he wakes up and there had to be probably the most beautiful woman ever because she was perfect and at the end of chapter 2 Amen, yes. It says the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Great, so everything is awesome. Now in chapter 3, and I don't know how much time goes by between chapter 2 and chapter 3, my personal feeling, and it's just me, is that if God finished creating on Saturday, took Sunday off, Satan showed up on Monday. Some feel that uh, a great amount of time may have transpired between chapter 2 and chapter 3. I do not know. Alright, but here's the point. In chapter 3, Eve, somebody else shows up and we know that it is Satan. Satan appears and he's more crafty (coughs) than any of the beasts of the field which God had made. And so, uh, Eve didn't know who he was. For all he knew that she knew is somebody else I haven't seen before and so he shows up and he says said to the woman this is very important chapter 3 verse 1 of Genesis indeed has God said he, he knows what's going on remember before this Satan's already been kicked out of heaven because he declared he, he was going to take over he says, "I will be like the Most High," and God said, "No, you won't." And so he's done. So he he has been cursed from that time on. <clears throat> and we know that he took a whole host of heaven with him that become the demons today, or that are the demons today. So Satan shows up and he and he questions what God has said. Now, if you go back to chapter two, you find that Eve wasn't there when God told Adam about the tree and Eden and died. So Eve, so Adam must have told Eve the story and that's what Satan is questioning indeed as God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden well yeah he did that's true Adam told her that the woman said to the serpent but from the fruit of the tree of the gardens we may eat but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden God has said you shall not eat from it touch it or you will die okay now, just hang on to these thoughts because these are all building blocks for the building we're going to be constructing. God said something, it's truth. Satan, the arch enemy of God, the great deceiver, the one, the murderer and the liar, John 8 44, comes and first of all questions what God had said. And then he flat out says to Adam, to Eve, when Eve tells him what God has said, The serpent said to the woman, verse 4, you surely will not die. God is wrong. God is wrong. Verse 5, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, it's true. When they ate of that tree, they knew evil. And so she, she buys the line. And by the way, is Satan is doing the same thing from Genesis 1 to today all the way to the end. He will question what God has said. He will question what God has said about morality. He will question what God has said about culture. He will question what God has said about anything and everything. And what he says is God is wrong. You don't have to do that. Well, Eve bought the light. We know what happened. She saw, she saw that it looked good, and so she took of it. She gave to Adam, and he took of it. And instantly, things fell apart. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, verse 7. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed leaf, fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Now, the inference is that God did this often. And this, this does lend to the thought that time that there's more time than I think between chapter 2 and 3. So apparently, that let's assume that there is. Time goes on and God comes in the cool evening and they have direct conversation with God. All right? But now they know, they know they're guilty, they are ashamed, they are hiding not only their nakedness, and there's nobody there but but them, but they're hiding from God. And the Lord called to the man, verse 9, and said to him, where are you? He knew, but he's calling Adam out. And he said, Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Gotta love this quote. God said to him, who told you you were naked? How, how do you even know that? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And then, of course, it begins. Now, you see what happened. Soon as they ate, everything unraveled. They lost their innocence. Now they're playing the blame game. Adam says, God, it's your fault. It's the woman you gave me. Gave me this fruit I ate, and now that's where we are. And the and the, and the woman says it was the serpent, and so God curses all of them. And things unravel since then. We go to chapter four, and the first two human be- the first human being born the natural way. And I remember in Genesis 1, God took dust from the earth and formed Adam and breathed into his his nostrils the breath of life. He took Eve from Adam's side. So that's supernatural. That's a very unusual beginning. The first natural beginning of, of a man and a woman coming together in the sexual union and and, and doing what, the, what we do. And she gave birth. And she gave birth to a son whose name was Cain. You keep reading, you realize Cain becomes the first murderer, who kills his brother. Things are unraveling. You go all the way to chapter 6, and and this is where we don't know for sure either. I mean, most that I found would take Genesis, (laughs) since we don't know, before 4000 BC. We do believe in a young earth. And Genesis 6, before uh, 2500 BC, which means somewhere around. 1,500 years from Genesis 1 to Genesis 6 goes by. In that time, in that 1,500 years, let's just use that number, there's a lot of people on the earth. I think as I've read, there's millions, maybe a lot of people. And But because of sin and because of man's rebellion against God, because man listened to the devil when he said, Indeed, has God said, And then when he says, well, no, God's wrong. Because man listens to that and does that. Notice what happens on the earth when we get to Genesis 6, 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. You say, well, how great? Okay. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Wow. Wow. Verse 11, Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. All flesh, except we know, verse 8, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And the eight people that he took in the ark with him were the only ones rescued out of the whole entire world. It would be tantamount today, to God killing everybody that's alive on this planet, but I won't include, well, I will include myself. I'm not dumb. So, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. From me to Angie, we're the only ones saved in the entire planet. That's what God did. So, what's the issue? The issue, we're in trouble, and we know we're in trouble. I think, you know, I think most people would recognize that, that we, we are in deep trouble. And to man's credit, they have tried to fix it. So you're still in Hebrews 3, we're getting there. So they have tried to fix it. One of the ways that they have tried to fix it is, uh, and some of you, I think we're all familiar with this, some of, of us have been through it, 12-step programs. I mean, and, and actually, I, I'm not here to boo twelve-step programs because they are helpful. They can be helpful. People have been helped by twelve-step programs. <coughs> but I'm here to tell you, it's not the complete answer. It's a beginning. It's a help. But man has tried. For example, here are the twelve steps of AA. And as I've looked these up, there's 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 different shades here and there. But just listen to how this goes. This is man trying to fix his problem. <coughs> Number, step one, we admit that we are powerless over alcohol and that our lives have become unmanageable. Important step. Step two, we believe that a power greater than ourselves can help us. Yeah. Step three, we decide to turn our wills and lives over to the care of a higher power. But here's, here's the caveat that gets them in trouble. Whatever that may be, Okay, so you're on the right track, and if you, we're going to see if you go in the right direction, this will work. We are, from that step number four, we are searching, we make a searching moral inventory of ourselves. Hmm. We admit to a higher power, ourselves, and another person, the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, we are ready to have a higher power remove these defects in character. Step seven. <laughs> We we humbly ask the higher power to remove all shortcomings. Step eight. We make a list of people we have harmed and whom we are willing to make amends. Step nine. Whenever possible we make amends to these individuals. Step ten. We continue to take a personal inventory and promptly admit when we are wrong. Step eleven. We ask for the knowledge of a higher power we ask for the knowledge of a higher power's will for us and the strength to carry it out step 12 we we try to carry this message to other people with alcohol use disorder and practice these principles in all our affairs now that really that's not bad right? and we're going to see it really correlates well with the scripture but that's AA's 12 step program that's men recognizing they have a need recognizing I can't fix it I need help alright So, what we're doing the next two weeks is we are in a seminar. Welcome to, well, I ought to tell you what it is. Welcome to God's 10-step program. So, we're going to be talking about God's 10-step program. So, you're in this seminar. We're in class. We're being trained uh, to, to understand what our needs are and what the answer is. This is the answer. That's why I had you go to Hebrews 3. So, two things I want you to do as we go through our seminar. Number one, just like 12 steps, examine yourself. You've got to be honest with yourself. That's where the I'm okay, you're okay thing is. It depends on what you're talking about. All right? If we're playing golf and I hit a nice shot and you hit a nice shot, yeah, I'm okay, you're okay. But if I hit mine in the woods and you're on the grain, I'm not okay. <laughs> so you've got to be careful with it. So what we want to do as we go through here, first thing you want to do, Hebrews 3, 7 and 8. All right? Today, or therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, the Holy Spirit, do not harden your hearts. Is when the children of Israel did and they provoked them in the wilderness. So the first thing is, as we go through this, we're going to be using the word of God. God. If God's word is speaking to you, do not harden your heart. But follow through with what God wants you to do. Number two, we are being trained then to take this message to others. That's what I liked about step 12. We carry this message to other people with alcohol use disorder, practice these principles in all our affairs. And that's exactly what we want to do. We, we want to take what we're learning, and you'll see it, it'll be very clear. And, well, I hope it'll be very clear. And uh, we want to take that and realize this is what people need. Oh, they may need to have their car fixed, they may need to have their roof fixed, they may need to go to the doctor. But, but the soul, Jesus said, Come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. That's what man really needs. And it's only found 12 steps to kind of get you started. God's 10 steps is the answer. All right? So, what we want to do then, Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you, an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. So we want to make sure we're tracking in the ten steps. But, verse 13, to encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called a day, so that none of you will become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we want to be constantly helping one another. We said it Wednesday night, the men said it yesterday, Hebrews 10, 24, 25, we are to gather together to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's why people that go to 12-step programs need to be faithful in going because you need to go. We need to go. We need to be here to be encouraged and stimulate to do what God wants us to do. All right. Now, do you know where God's 10-step program is found? Take a guess. What? What? It in the Bible. James, in the Bible. Absolutely. James chapter 4. All of that to get to where we are. We are in James chapter 4. Then we read it, well, not the whole chapter. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. And this week and next week, we'll be going through here, noticing God's 10 step program. And I'll show you where they are when we get there. All right? So James 4, you you're, you're ready? You're, we're all there? Okay, verses 1 through 10. And by the way, there will be a break in a little bit. We have refreshments in the back. <laughs> Welcome to Murphy's Queenie Church 10-step program. Okay, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source? Is not the source your pleasures that war wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures or on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealousy desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, here they come. Verses 7 through 10 contain 10 imperatives. So, in language, in the Greek language, imperatives are commands. Some have likened this to God's Ten Commandments back in Exodus. So, here is God's ten step program to fix things. All right? Verse 7 Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned in the morning, and your gloom to in your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. So we start with verse one, quarrels and all this stuff going on. We end with God exalting us, but we have to work through the ten steps. Now, as we go through the ten steps. Well, let me tell you what they are because a lot of them overlap and interlap and they're not in any particular order, but this is basically salvation. The 10 steps will be submit, resist, draw near, cleanse, purify, be miserable, be mournful, weep, lament, be humble, and the result is to be lifted up. So we're only going to get to the first two this morning if I get going here. Okay, so as we go through here, uh, we're going to notice two key words that that hang all of our thoughts on. The two key words are from the text, conflicts and grace. I don't like conflicts, but it's a reality. But we love grace. Amen. I mean, oh, my goodness. Without grace, we're all doomed. We really are (coughs) doomed. So first of all, conflicts. Conflicts. Verse 1, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? You Notice the conflicts is in the plural. And in the New Testament, conflicts is always in the plural. Interesting. It means to combat, to fight, to fight. And in verses 1 through basically 5, he says we're at conflict in three realms. First of all, we're in conflict with one another. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? I thought I was hearing things. Uh, remember in chapter 1, he says, verse 1, James, a bondservant of God, of the Lord Jesus, to the 12 tribes that are dispersed abroad. Greetings. So he's writing to a group of believers, predominantly Jewish, but the Gentiles were included. And he's been going through the book of James, really showing us what true religion is. So we have to understand that within this group of people that James is writing to, there are true Christians and they are professing Christians. They are people that are in the church but have never came to faith in Jesus Christ. Such are those in chapter 1, verse 2. Verse 22 That if you're just a hearer of the word and not a doer, you are deluding yourselves. And then verse 26 If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and I'm sure everyone to whom James wrote would have thought they were religious. He says, If you think yourself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. And I think that's one of the main points James is trying to make. You who claim to be religious, unless you're following God's way, whatever whatever you're doing, you think it's just okay to hear the word of God, then leave and forget it and never practice it, you're deluding yourself. You're deluding yourself. Then you go to t- chapter two, it talks about showing favoritism, but really get to verse 14. Where he says, what use is it, brethren, if someone says he has faith and has no works, can that faith save him? No. That's what he's going to say. He gets to the end. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. And remember, we went through that. The whole point is you don't work to be saved. You work because you are saved. But it has to be there. And then in chapter 3, he talked about the tongue. And in chapter 3, you remember last time in verse 13? Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and gentleness and wisdom. All right. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. And here, again, the inference is, I think, clearly from context here, is that there was some of that going on in that church this wisdom doesn't come verse 15 come from above but it's earthly natural demonic for where jealousy this is james 3 verse 16 where jealousy and selfish ambition exist there is disorder in every evil thing just back it up all the way through the The New Testament, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way back to Genesis 6, all the way back to Genesis 3. That is why. So we got all these conflicts with one another. And the reason is because we're sinners. We're sinners. In 2 Timothy, Paul gives this great description to Timothy. And the New Testament is very consistent. And by the way, as you sit through this seminar, hopefully you'll find out that the Bible is very consistent. And one of the things I learn the more I do this is how consistent the Old Testament and New Testament are. You, you you can't just do the Old Testament. You need the New Testament and the Old Testament. You can't just do the New Testament. You need the New Testament and the Old Testament. You can't just do the epistles. You need, you need the Gospels. You can't, you know, and you, it, the whole thing goes together. In Paul, to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Amen. Come on, Dave, give me an amen. amen. Are we in difficult amen. times? Amen. Sure. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, <coughs> lovers of pleasure <coughs> rather than lovers of good. Now that is why we've got quarrels and conflicts amongst ourselves because we are innately selfish. And we'll see as we go through here we live in the flesh and the flesh is our problem secondly we have conflicts with ourselves we not only have conflicts with others among you but he says verse 1 is not the source of your pleasures is not the source of all these troubles your pleasures that that wage war in your members in other words it's us is the problem. we got all this stuff in us that, that is envious and jealous and, and, and causes strife. You lust, verse 2, and do not have. We are all lusters. The word lust means to desire. All right? So it's just we all desire something. You lust and do not have. So the ultimate extreme is you commit murder to take what you want. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, because you do not ask, because you're doing this your way, you know? Good old Frank Sinatra, and I like Frank Sinatra. I like his voice. But you know, when he gets this, I did it my way, really? Well, you're going to end up in hell if you do it your way. Who cares if you did it your way? And that's what happens. If if I'm working this out, if I am self-sufficient, if I don't need anybody, I don't need you, God. I'm not going to pray. Why pray to a God I don't believe in for a need I don't think I have? Talk about being deluded. You don't even ask. You don't have. Verse 3, you ask and do not receive. If you do happen to address God, remember he's talking to those in church. A lot of prayer goes on in church. Because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasure. Bible's very clear. Matthew 14, 1 John, God answers prayer according to his will for his glory. You start asking for things just because you want them. It says you, you ask and you have not because you're asking with the wrong motives. Alright? So we got, conf- I mean, you get in the picture conflicts with others, conflicts within ourselves. Worse than all of that is we have conflict with God verse 4. You adulteresses. Now when you read James one of the challenges is who is he talking to? He's talking to the church. Okay I got it. Is this part for believers or is he addressing unbelievers? That's a question you have to answer and unfortunately that is a question that people have taken various approaches to James chapter 4. Some say he's referring to believers Others say he's referring to unbelievers. I'll just cut to the bottom chase because we're running out of time. I believe he's talking to unbelievers. And I'll I'll show you why. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself, and here comes the key, an enemy of God. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the New Testament, Scripture says, well, Scripture nowhere refers to believers as enemies of God. Nowhere. So, okay, well, if this is the one exception, you'd have to prove that. Just think, no, he's saying, look, if you're, you're here and you got a foot in the, in the church because it makes you feel good. I mean, in, uh, I, someone once said, not directly, but to somebody I know, you know, they were Catholic nothing to get, well, yes, Catholics. Anyway, they, they said, well, why are you going to the Catholic church? It's in Latin. You don't even understand Latin. You know what the response was? Ah, but it makes me feel holy. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. Because if you've got your foot and you just go there and feel holy, and then the rest of the time you're in the world, Scripture clearly says you're making yourself an enemy of God. You're an adulteress. And then verse five is another interesting verse. Do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? Now, the scripture is not going to have the next quote anywhere, but it's a summary of all that the scripture teaches. Now, the New American Standard, in most translations, will translate it this way. He, capital He meaning God, jealousy desires the Spirit, capital S meaning the Holy Spirit, which he has made to dwell in us. It's a very unfortunate translation because that's not what the Greek says. Number one, he is not in the Greek text. And since the Greek didn't have, they wouldn't have used the capital letter here. Either it was all in capitals or it was just all lowercase. Better translation, dear King James had it right. (coughs) Or an alternate reading, if you have your Bible off to the sides, it says, or, and I think this is correct, the spirit which he has made to dwell in us lust with envy. Now that even fits the context. The spirit which God put in you, life lust to envy. That's the source of the problem. So you quarrel and you murder and you lust and, and you try to achieve that. And you see it really goes backwards too. Because you're, because you have walked away from God, you have conflict within yourself, and if you got conflict within yourself because you've walked away from God, you're going to have conflict with everybody else. So that's that's the problem. Now, I'm not going to take time. I did a little bit on YouTube, but it's not, I don't like strife. I don't like when people don't like me, and for whatever reason, I don't like them. It happens. I don't like it, though. I don't like strife. I don't like strife with others. I don't like strife within myself. I mean, you—I mean—that wears you out when you're battling with each But here's the here's the kicker: you better not have strife with God, because He holds your life presently and your eternity in His hands. And if you're at odds with Him, you will end up with the devil and his angels. Just read Matthew twenty-five. So that that is this is a crucial issue. This is where, God bless them, really, the 12-steppers, you know, they're on the right track, but you can't just have a God, whatever you decide he's going to be. If you come to the true God, yes, you can find help. You can find lasting help. You can find eternal help. Well, now, I better get to give you at least two steps, all right? So the second key word is grace, is grace, verse 6. So actually, verses 1 through 5 are somewhat depressing, but that's reality. You know, that is reality. But verse 6, a a great word, but he gives a greater grace. Greater than what? Greater than the problem within you. Greater than the problem you have with God and greater than the problem you have with others. Greater than the spirit that is lusting inside of you to envy. Greater than the problem, God gives a greater grace. Pray, and that's, that's the only hope. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And by the way, as I went through the 12 steps, it's very humbling, is it not? Correct. Absolutely correct. As we go through the here, it's going to be very humbling. But that's where it starts. That's where it starts. Step number one. Submit, therefore, to God. If you recognize you've got quarrels and conflicts, you recognize the sources, the pleasures of waging war within your members, you recognizing, man, I'm just being torn up. Yes, the spirit God has put in me, you know, just living is just lusting to the, the evil and all of this. I'm just a mess. If you realize that, the first step is you submit, therefore, to God, which means... You don't try to fix it on your own. Because here's the point. We've tried. I think our entire lives, we try to fix it on our own. Now, granted, some people do better than others. But you can't fix it. (coughs) Step number one, you have to realize you need divine help that only comes from God. So you submit, therefore, to God. I surrender all. And guess what's left out of all? Nothing. Until you're ready to come to that, you will not find lasting real hope. Surrender means it's a military term. You rank yourself under. Interesting. You rank yourself under. You and the reason we submit to God, we rank ourselves under Him. He's the creator. We're the creator. Who do we think we are? So we come. We submit to him. That means I acknowledge that, yes, he is the higher power. He's not a higher power power, among others. He's the higher power. In fact, he's the only higher power. Satan's a power, but we wouldn't call him higher because he's not higher than God submit. Submit and bring yourself under someone above you. And that's why you notice at the end it says humble yourself in the, in the presence of the Lord. It takes humility to do that to realize I'm not it. I'm not it. As you go through the scriptures you find submission is everywhere. Well, pretty much everywhere. For example, Ephesians 5, 21 We are to submit to one another, being filled with the Holy Spirit, recognizing, Philippians 2, that we are to look at one another as more important than ourselves and try to help them. Wives are to submit to their husbands, Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, just as Christ submits to, just as the church submits to Christ. God has placed an an order in the family that our world is trying to destroy. I mean, they're working hard at it. But the man is the head of the house, and he says, "You want this to work, the woman has to take her place." Doesn't mean she's a slave. I mean, that's a whole other issue. But it just means you, submission is you rank under someone above you. God put that there, not me. First Peter two. You can uh, you can write if you write these down, or you can listen to this and write them down. First Peter two thirteen through three one. We are to submit to the governing authorities. From God, we are to submit to our employer. From God, wives, again, are to submit to their husbands, even if they're unbelievers. And to what degree and all of that, you know, you, they, you don't submit what they want you to do, sin, etc. But basically, that's the that's the principle. You see, because the reason it starts here, because this is our problem. This is why we got to this place, because Adam and Eve stopped submitting to God. They listened to the devil. So what we say is they listened, they submitted to him. They bought his lie. And it all around. So God says, you, you want to start this, you want peace, you want to be exalted up, you want rest for your soul. It starts with you recognizing who I am, who you are, in submitting to me. Submitting to me. Otherwise, we, don't, we, we can't do anything. When you submit to the Lord Jesus, and uh, I'm trying to do this so I don't go on till tomorrow. Uh, you know, Romans, Romans 3, Romans 4 talks about we have salvation when we place faith in Christ. And that faith in Christ is obedience. All right? And when that happens, Chapter 5, verse 1, we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Awesome. Chapter 8, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But watch what happens when you submit to God. Let me read for you from Romans 8, verse 7. Well, verse 6, the mind set on the flesh... And that's where we're all living. And we still live in the flesh. But unbelievers, that's what they're controlled by. That's the lust that's within them that is doing all this. The mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. They're still at war in conflict with him. However, you as believers who have heard the gospel, listen, you paid attention, you didn't harden your heart, you submitted before God. You say, Lord, and really it's total surrender. It says, I give up, you take over. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, and that's what God gives you at the point of your salvation, Ephesians 1, at the end of that chapter, he when having believed, we were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So the Holy Spirit's within you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies so brother in verse 12 we are under we are under no obligation or well, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh for if you live according to the flesh you must die but if by the spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body you will live and we'll see in our fight in our ten steps it's exactly what's happening Here's the point. When you submit to God, God saves you, right? Ephesians 1, he forgives your sins, adopts you as a son. You know, it goes on throughout, Galatians, all, all of that. But watch what he This is one of my favorite descriptions of a believer. And this is important for step two, okay? Acts 26, Acts 26. Paul giving his testimony to King Agrippa. And in 26, 18, he's saying how Jesus appeared to him and gave him his marching orders. Verse 16, Stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and and, a, a witness not only to the things which you have seen, but the things which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Now watch what he says, you're going to preach the gospel, you're going to tell people about me. Watch what happens when they do. To open their eyes so that may turn from darkness to light. Ephesians 2 is how we started. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead, dark. Turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. The whole world, 1 John 5, 19, lies in the lap of the evil one because of what Adam and Eve did. And that's where everybody is. That's where everybody That's where we start. Walking according to the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, is what we started with. But when you come to Christ, you are transferred from that to God. You've been given the victory. You've been giving that. We 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 we've seen that in First John on on Wednesday night. Oh my goodness, it's awesome. First John uh, chapter four verse four. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. He's talking about Satan and the Antichrist. Because greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. The Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit's God is greater than all. First John five four through five. Whoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And since the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one, oh, but verse 18, talk about grace, we know that no one who is born of God sins. And as you read chapter 3 and 4, continually unabated, believers do sin, but it's not really who we are. But he, I think it refers to Christ, who was born of God, keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. Man, Jesus' high priestly prayer, John 17. Father, while I was with them, I was hanging on to them. I'm leaving. Now you keep them, and I'm asking you to keep them from the evil one, and Jesus, God, does. Having said that, because of our new found faith, the way we overcome. Trials and conflicts and jealousies is submit to God, and number two is resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We will do that next week. But just think about this. Let me give it to you real simple. The way we resist the devil is the way Jesus resisted the devil. Matthew four. What did he say to every temptation? It is written. What was he doing in Matthew 26 when he's about to go to the mm-hmm. cross? And the temptation was not to go. He was praying. And he told his disciples, Pray, lest you enter in temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So how do we resist the devil? We submit to God. And now we got the Holy Spirit. So we, we submerse ourselves in the Word of God. When He brings up this stuff, we say, Oh no, 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 wait a minute. It is written. And then ask God for help. Don't talk to Satan. Then we just don't talk to demons. You don't want to do that. I don't even know if we can. That's a whole nother discussion. But just say, Lord, you take care of this. And just think about the word of God. Think about the word of God. I'll close with this. First Peter chapter five. And we'll come back to this next week because this is so very, very important. 1 Peter chapter 5. So while you're waiting to really figure that out, 1 John 5 eight. be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Realize you will be attacked today, maybe right now, this week. So be on the alert, all right? Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But here it comes. Resist him. How? Firm in your faith. Knowing that the same experience of suffering has been accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And we'll look at the armor next week. You know, Je- uh, Ephesians 6 talks about taking up the shield of faith with which we extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. Satan's going to come at you with all kinds of enticements or he's going to send the world he's in charge it's all going to happen we submit to god we say god you're the i just want to do what you want it is written you've got to know his word you say it is written i'm sticking up that shield lord help and then move on and do something positive remember joseph fled you may have to flee. You may say, you know, I'm sorry. If you're with friends, say, I'm sorry. I'm going I'm to have to go. I, I, I need, you can either explain to them why or not. Just say, I, I, I need to go and let God help you. And he will. His 10-step program saves souls, fixes people. Not that we're perfect, but you'll see it, it's, it's awesome. And it may take us more than two weeks. Father, we thank you for, uh, oh my goodness, we thank you for giving us hope. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who came and died for us. You know, I was listening a little of Hodi Bachum yesterday talking about how you portrayed, or rather how you put all of your wrath on Jesus for all the sins of your children. Think about it. So Lord, we thank you. And I, I thank you that you have given us a way to fix the problem. You fix the problem. But we, we can live without conflicts. We can live without conflicts with one another, certainly without our within without within ourselves, and certainly without you, because now coming to Christ, it, those who believe in him shall. He has given the right to become the sons of God. And so, Father, just help us. Help us. I pray that this week, as we work our way through this, I know we will be tempted. Satan's no dummy. He will show up like he did in Genesis with Eve and say, hey, did God really say that? I mean, does that stuff really work? Come on, man, you don't need to do that. This is the 21st century. We put up the shield of faith and we say, It is written. And I believe it. And we flee to our Savior and say, Oh, Jesus, help. Help me. Help me. Think about that and then we'll close with really the key. This will, I guess, be our theme for the next couple of weeks. This is a prayer. Sing it as a prayer. exactly what will happen if we just follow directions. Father, help us willingly surrender to you, submit to you, and then resist the devil and we'll do the rest of it. We humble ourselves before you, you will help us. So I pray that you'd help every single one of us have the best week of our lives this week for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.